Well, we finished our summer series last week about the crucial characteristics uh, of the Christian life and, and these, a number of these fundamental marks that, that we observed came from some of the, the friends of the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 4. And, and maybe because I was thinking about my friend this past week, which I spoke to again on the phone, but when I was, was, went back to the list looking over where we left off in Colossians, obviously preparing for, uh, for getting back into the exposition of the Gospel of, of Mark. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10 when we pick that, pick that back up next week. I found that there were three men that were in this list that we, that we did not cover. And, and, and quite frankly, I found them too important to, to, to leave out. These are men who are, uh, who are behind the scenes. Behind the scenes in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And they teach us a lesson about the necessity of friends in the, in the faith. I thanked the ladies, but I also thanked this morning those who played, because as beautiful as their voices were, they had someone behind them, they had others behind them supporting them. And even though these individuals in the book of Colossians and sometimes in, in the introductions and in the closings of, of, the, of the pages of Scripture, of, the, of these letters in Scripture, even though they don't take up a lot of space and we don't have as much detail about them, like the Apostle Paul on the first and second and third missionary journey, and, and you learn a lot about what Paul said as he's writing to Timothy and Titus, even though these individuals don't take up a lot of space, the, the, these are noteworthy people. They are vital for the Apostle Paul's ministry. In fact, Paul would not be the apostle that you and I know if it were not for these individuals that, that he lists and that he thanks and that he, he makes some comments about. And we're going to, we're going to look at them the, 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 this morning. How important are, are friends in the faith? You, you, how important are good friends? Good friends. You have good friends... I hope you do. You, you would probably say they're hard to come by, and, and you're right. Most people have many acquaintances, but only a few that they, that they call friends. And if that's true for everyone, how, how much more important is it for, for believers that are in the body of Christ to have people around them that are part of their lives and that they are part of someone else's life where, where they can be called a friend in the, in the faith? Now, we read Proverbs this morning because it gave us a, a warning from a father to a son about the kind of friends that, that, that he's, the father hoped that son wouldn't, wouldn't hang around with. And the Bible speaks about friends in many ways. It speaks of a friend that, speak, that sticks closer than a, than, than a brother. Jesus told his disciples he would call them friends. And he's talking to us. Jesus calls us his friends if we follow him with our whole lives. John fifteen fourteen. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. And those are the I mean, if you would want to just define what, what kind of friend do I want, it, it would be the it would be the one that Jesus would call a friend. A, a a true friend in the faith is someone who does whatever God commands him to do. And and therefore Jesus calls him a friend and, and you should call them a friend as as well. Ecclesiastes talks about the benefits of friendship. A threefold cord is not easily broken. Two are better than one. Three are even, even better. I read one commentator who said, true friends or real friends are the ones when you make a fool out of yourself, 
they don't think that you've done a permanent job of it. And I need plenty of those kind of people in my life. <laughs> as, wonder, as, as wonderful as good friends can be, like the ones that we're going to see in the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul calls his friends, bad ones can be deadly, can't they? I mean, you can look all through the Old Testament. You can probably find in your own life this friend that I mentioned last week who's come to Christ was one of those friends, and I was one of those friends that would lead me astray, and I was one of those individuals that would, that would fall in with him and lead him astray. We called each other friends, but we were not friends, true friends. Bad friends can be, can be deadly. In fact, they can lead to your downfall. 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. You wonder why the world is getting worse and worse. It's not because there are less believers in it. It's because the influence of society that, that used to put pressure on, on the world with a, with a semblance of outward morality, law, this is right, this is wrong, just, just kept hearts in check. And, and now as, as more people get out of check, it, it frees other people to do the same thing. It just manifests what's already there. Bad company corrupts good, good morals. Influence is a powerful thing, isn't it? Proverbs speaks very clearly about taking care in whom you, you choose for, for friends. Proverbs 12.26, The righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. And that's how you can tell a good friend from a bad friend. The righteous friend is a guide, and a wicked one leads you astray. We're to avoid ungodly companions because they can leads you down the wrong path. And that's nothing new. You don't need to meet me to tell you that. Your mom probably told you, like mine did, if you run with dogs, you'll get fleas. Did your mom ever tell you that? B.R. Lakin said, stay away from the godless crowd. You'll become one of them. And Scripture gives all kinds of examples. Scripture also gives examples about the importance of faithful friends and how they can help us. And help us specifically in our walk with the Lord. You have a limited time on this earth. And I hope that you're going for Christ. If you're not, then you're wasting your life. You, you really are. And I don't mean that you've got to be a pastor or a missionary. I mean the central focus of your life has to come back to Christ, has to come back to the gospel, has to come back to the kingdom. And you need other people in your life to help be your cheerleaders, to help support you, and for and you to be that same thing for for them, especially whenever you're in a tight spot. And the Apostle Paul here in Colossians is in a tight spot. He had a fruitful ministry. In, and that fruitful ministry, part of that was this tight spot. And he mentions some very key friends in the faith. And I want to read about them. These last ones that we haven't looked at in verse 10. So open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. And we're going to read two verses and see about three friends in the faith. And pay attention very carefully to what Paul says about them, because we're going to see some characteristics that, that just bubble up from their life, from, from the lives of these individuals, that, that you're going to want to emulate, and you're going to want to surround yourself with these kind of people, and you're going to, you're going to want to be these kind of individuals in the lives of, of others. Verse 10. After Tychicus and Onesimus, he says in verse 10, Aristarchus, 
my fellow prisoner sends you his greetings. And also Barnabas' cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision. And they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Can you imagine, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, being inscripturated by the great apostle himself, he says, you have been an encouragement to me. I'd love to have the apostle Paul say that about me. Frankly, I'd love to have anybody say that about me. So how can someone say that about you? Well, we're going to see from, from the lives of these individuals. Paul is, is in Rome, and he's awaiting trial. And the Holy Spirit has already testified to Paul that he's going to travel to Rome, he's going to be a witness to Christ, and, and, he's, and that's come to pass. And, and he's in his two-year prison term, he's under house arrest, and he's chained to the Praetorian Guard who changed about every hour and in house arrest, you're allowed to conduct your business. You receive visitors. And Paul's ministering to the brethren and not being one to waste opportunity. During this time, he writes three letters, two to Ephesus, uh, sorry, two to, two to churches, Ephesus and and Colossae, and then he writes one to Philemon, who is the master of of the home where the house church meets, and he sends it by his faithful friend Tychicus. And now he mentions these three other workers. And each of them have unique characteristics. And so I would give you this outline. Three types of friends you want beside you in the Christian life. And you can reverse that. You, you can say three types of friends you want beside you in the Christian life. Or three types of friends of a friend you want to be to, to somebody else. You want to be one who is like a loyal soldier, like Aristarchus. You want to be one who makes much of second chances, like Mark. And you want to be one who makes strong commitments, like Justice. Let's look at the first one. We'll obviously go through these if you didn't get them down. Number one, the first type of friend is a friend who is like Aristarchus, who Paul describes as a as a loyal soldier. He's a fellow prisoner. Look, if you would, at verse 10. Paul mentions Aristarchus, and he says, Aristarchus sends you his greetings. And the only thing that he says about Aristarchus here is he's a, he's a fellow prisoner, or my fellow prisoner. Now, Aristarchus is mentioned five times in Scripture, in, in Acts chapter 19, in Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 27, here, and also in Philemon. And in every place that Aristarchus is mentioned, he's mentioned with the Apostle Paul, which is why you hear him a lot in Acts, why you hear him here, and also in Philemon. He is Paul's fellow prisoner. And we know from his name that, that, that he is a Jew, and he is from Thessalonica. He's one of Paul's companions. His name indicates that, that he was a Jew of the, of the diaspora. He's, he's a Jew who, who was Greek-speaking. He lived in one of the Jewish settlements outside of, of Jerusalem. 
that had been Hellenized. So, so these are Jews that didn't give up their Judaism, but they began to speak Greek. They, they assimilated to a certain degree, if, if you will. And you might recall in Acts chapter 6, where there's a disagreement in the early church between the Hellenists and the Hebrews, the pure Jews, and then the ones who are speaking Greek. And they have an argument, and you know, that's where deacons come from. Well, Aristarchus was with the group of the, of the Hellenists. And he's included along with Luke and Tychicus in Acts chapter 20. He probably started out, like Tychicus, as a representative of the church of Thessalonica. So Paul, who is a Jew, but is a minister to the, uh, uh, an apostle to the Gentiles, wants to, uh, he's the one who gets the, the privilege of revealing the mystery of the Jew and the Gentile, both Jews and, and Gentiles together in one new man in Christ. Paul gets the privilege to, to preach that that was revealed to him. And so Paul's one of his passions, besides preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, is to build a bridge between them. So Paul, when he goes to these churches on his missionary journeys, these Gentile churches, he, he, he encourages them to take up an offering for the Jews in Jerusalem, the ones who were, who were poor and destitute because they gave everything up. And so he goes to the Gentile churches, they take up an offering, and he takes it back to the 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 Jews in Jerusalem. And each of those churches would typically send someone who would accompany. And Aristarchus was one of those individuals from Thessalonica that accompanies the offering along with, along with Tychicus. But you can tell he's loyal to Paul by what he says, what Paul calls him, and, and where he's at. Where is Aristarchus at whenever Paul writes this, this letter? Well, where's Paul at? Paul is, is in prison, and Paul calls him a fellow prisoner, literally a fellow prisoner of war. It's, it, it, the, the, the word is, is the one who's at the tip of the spear. He's, he's at the tip of the spear with me. Now, you say, why is that important? Well, because we have no record that Aristarchus was ever arrested. The Apostle Paul was arrested, and yet Paul calls him my fellow prisoner. It's not likely that Aristarchus was arrested with Paul, but he was a prisoner in Rome. And he's there voluntarily, and he won't leave the apostles' side. In fact, from the moment that Aristarchus comes to Christ until this moment, he never leaves the apostles' side. He's the kind of man who, once he made a commitment to Paul, he was going to be there. He'd take a bullet for him. And he's proven that up to that, up to that point. So Paul calls him my fellow prisoner. And you need friends like that. You need those who will stick and stay. And you can see his loyalty in two things. If you look at Aristarchus' life, the time that he spent with Paul and the trials with Paul. Now, the significance of Paul saying he's my fellow prisoner is, is, is going to come out in, if you trace this, this, this life that that he walks along with Paul. He's from Thessalonica, but where Paul visited on his second missionary journey. And two years later, he, he writes a, a letter to them. So about ten years is how long Aristarchus has been with Paul. And when Paul arrived at Thessalonica, he went into the synagogue like he normally did, and that was his custom, and he makes several converts... And Acts 17 says it was Jason, Aristarchus, and Segundus. And they are named. There's about 200,000 people in Thessalonica. 
And some appreciated the apostles' ministry, some of them heard the word and came to Christ, and some of them didn't. And you remember there were some that didn't appreciate the apostles' ministry. There was a mob that ran them out of town and attacked them, and they attacked the house of Jason. And Aristarchus, once he was saved, he, he went with Paul and he never left his side. He was convinced that this is the way, and he walked in it. Can I, can I just tell you, you're, you're never going to go anywhere in your Christian life if you're casual about it. I mean, you have to be convinced that this is the Word of God, or you're not going to read it. You're not going to sit under it. You have to be convinced that, that Christ is, is God. You, you have to be convinced that, that the gospel is the only way, or, or, or you're, you're not going to give your life for it. But if you are convinced, you will. And for, a, for the time, from the time that, that he comes to Christ, Aristarchus is, is with Paul, and he is not with Paul in, in some easy, easy times. If you read further, uh, further in the book of Acts, Aristarchus was with Paul in Ephesus. You remember what happened in Ephesus? You remember the uproar that was created after Paul stays there for, for a couple years of ministry, and he begins to cut into the idol-making business, and some local artisans stir up a mob? And they grab two Christians and they haul them into the stadium. Do you remember who those two Christians were? One of them was Aristarchus. And Paul feels the same thing about this brother that Aristarchus feels about Paul. He, he tries to go to him, but the, the other believers won't let Paul go. And he continues with Paul even after that. Aristarchus was, was with Paul in the riot. Aristarchus was with Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, at Caesarea when he's under trial in his first imprisonment. Aristarchus accompanies Paul to Jerusalem, knowing what awaited the Apostle Paul, and possibly him with him. Aristarchus is with Paul when he's in the storm, and he's shipwrecked, he's shipwrecked with the Apostle Paul. You remember the list that Paul writes about, about, you know, he's shipwrecked and he's this and he's that, and you go, wow, Paul's been through a lot. Did you know Aristarchus was with Paul for the majority of those things and nothing's ever said? Now, that's some loyalty, isn't it? And when he finally arrived in Rome, Aristarchus was with Paul. He's with Paul now under house arrest, which is where he remains. And he could have gone back at any time or stopped, but he didn't. He probably passed himself off as the Apostle Paul's servant so he could stay with him. So there wouldn't be any questions. Well, that's a friend. He's a man who cares nothing about his own stature or what it costs as long as it benefits. His friend, who is also his general, a loyal friend, sticks and stays no matter what he faces, even if it's personal loss. And one who's in it as long as it costs him nothing is, is not really a friend. He's a, he's a hireling. You want to be a loyal friend. You want to be a loyal soldier. You want to be one who goes for the long haul over time, and you want to be one who weathers through, through trials. Now, I want you to look at the second one that he mentions here. And I don't want you to miss this. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas, Barnabas's cousin Mark, about whom you received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. Now, now, why does Paul have to say that in parentheses? 
And think of the significance of John Mark being placed right after Aristarchus. And it's interesting. There's a contrast here. And the Holy Spirit positions these two men back to back. And Paul goes from loyal Aristarchus, who stayed with him even when accosted, even when shipwrecked, even when in prison, to Mark, a man who deserted Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey the minute that it got difficult. Did you ever notice that? Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. And he is one who makes much of second chances. Are you glad for second chances? I'm glad for seven times 70 chances, aren't you? 490 times, that's what I'm glad of. Mark is the cousin of Barnabas, who is called the son of encouragement. And because he's his cousin, is, is no doubt why Barnabas fights for John Mark whenever it's time for, for him to go on the second missionary journey. And there's a dispute that happens. And he set out 12 to 14 years earlier on the first missionary journey that's recorded in Acts 13. And he's a deserter. When the going got tough, John got going. And the Bible tells us that he was a helper to him. And he too had faced opposition. I mean, if you look at these two men, they're, they're, there's, there's a mirror. When they, they go with Paul from the beginning, and one, Aristarchus, faces a lot of difficulty, and he continues on. Mark, in Acts 13.5, also has a riot or something that's stirred up with, uh, with Elimus the musician. Uh, the magician, I should say, not musician. <laughs> And after this first confrontation, Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. Acts 13, 13. Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. We're not told what he said. We're not told why in specifics. But we can piece together... From this and other places, it wasn't good. Whatever the issue was, it was so bad. He left them in alert so bad that Paul and Barnabas, when they're setting out on their second missionary journey, Paul will not let Mark go. Barnabas wants to take him, and there's a sharp disagreement. And rather than take him along, Paul ditches Barnabas. And he takes Silas. That's how strong, strongly Paul felt about what he did. It was bad what he did. And he's also known as a deserter throughout the churches. I mean, that's why Paul puts this in parentheses here, about whom you received instructions. Why do they need instructions? And why, are they, why do they need to be told to welcome him? Because we don't want a deserter in our midst. We don't want this guy around. He broke rank. He left. And yet now, Paul is sending greetings to a church from Mark or for Mark, I should say, and calls him a faithful friend. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the one man, the one person that Paul asks to be brought to him is John Mark, because he was useful to him in the ministry, he said. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times, and then does what? He rises again. Mark's a man of second chances, and you need friends who will get up and keep going after their failures. And we're not told how Mark was restored. <clears throat> but there is a clue in 1 Peter chapter 5. 
Peter, when Peter is writing his closing remarks to, to those he's writing to, he says this, The church in Rome, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, as does my son, Mark. Peter calls Mark his son. Now, Peter sure knew something about failure, didn't he? He also knew something about getting up and being useful again. And somewhere along the line, it seems like Peter got a hold of Mark, and after Mark repented, Peter restored him, and now Mark is useful even to the one that he deserted. And I would say, everyone in here would say, praise God, there's a future for failures in Jesus Christ. And if the Apostle Paul's testimony is not enough, that you can think that God would, it would be unlikely that God would use such a man. The same man, Mark, is one of four people in history who got the privilege to pen a gospel after he got back on his feet. The gospel of Mark comes from this same man who was a deserter. You go from a deserter to a writer of Scripture. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And He can. And a friend who can get up after they have fallen and be useful again is one that you, that you want around. He is a, the failure can, can serve the person who's failed by, by giving them drive. And, and men who have failed are, are some of the most faithful after they get up because they know what shame feels like and, and they don't want to sense it again. And men who get up, women who get up, come back harder and faster than, than they were before the fall. And that's what you see in Mark's life. The type of friend is useful. And you can be a useful kind of friend that way if, if you fail. If you make much of second chances. Well, let me show you the, the third type that's here. It's justice. Third type of friend that, that you want beside you is one who makes strong commitments. Look at verse 11. <clears throat> Paul says, and also Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Paul mentions this man named, named Jesus, or, or Joshua, who, who is called Justice as, as one of his companions. It's, this is a friend who's willing to, to pay the price. What characteristics can you see about, about this man's life? And what Paul says here, this is the only place in Scripture that he's mentioned. His name in Greek, in the Greek version of Joshua, Jesus, means Savior. And he also has a surname, which means justice, or justice, which means righteous. There, there are a couple other people in Scripture that have this, this second name, if you will. The one that replaced Judas in Acts 1.23, Barsabbas, which is also called Justice and Matthias. And then there was, a, there was another one in Acts 18.7. And a surname was given because it's a common characteristic about somebody. Um, John the Bold, Jerry the Weak, whatever it might be. Jesus the righteous. Now, obviously not 
the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. But here's one who's striving, a man who, is, who has a name because of the way that he lived his life. And that's the real key is found at the end of verse 11. Look at what Paul says here. Jesus, who is called justice, these are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of or who are from the circumcision. What's that mean? They were Jews. He was known to have some characteristics of righteousness in his life, and he was doing that in a system that was trying to to meet God as one of the circumcision. And then he met the Apostle Paul, who was just like him, who was trying to reach righteousness through being being a good Jew. And this same one preached the true Jesus to him, and he met him, and he found where true righteousness comes from. And once he did that, he left all because he found the real thing. Paul was a Jew and an apostle to the Gentiles, and there are only three Jews who were helping him, he says. And justice was one of them. Now think of that. Think of how tough that would have been. He left all that he knew. He was one who was known to be fastidious, one who was known to be righteous, one who was known to live according to the precepts of the law. He was a law keeper. And he hears the gospel, and he comes to Christ, and he makes a strong commitment to the Apostle Paul to the point that he's one of three of the circumcision that that is with the Apostle to the Gentiles. Think about how, how significant that was. And he's willing to walk away from the opinions of people and take a stand for Christ no matter what it costs. And you need friends who are willing to pay the price for truth. Are you willing to pay the price for truth? Are you willing to be going one way, one direction, and God show you that it's the wrong direction, and then you forsake that along with everybody else that's going in that path and go in the, in the opposite direction, even though there's a few that are there. If you're saved, that's exactly what you've done. Because there is a, there is a narrow entryway into the kingdom. And few be there that find it. There's a broad road or a wide road. Many people are on, are on that road. And you need friends who are willing to pay the price for, for the truth. And that's what Justice was. He's not an arrogant chest thumper. He's someone who was willing to receive whatever God says and live with the consequences once he found the truth. You need need men and women around you who make strong commitments. And that requires both humility and strength. Why do you say humility? How can it be humility when you say a strong commitment? Isn't a strong commitment? Yes. But he first had to admit that he was wrong, didn't he? Humility and strength are both the two ingredients in in the kind of commitment that the Bible calls for. He forsook everything for what was right. You don't want a friend who latches on to any new thing that comes down the road. Oh, have you read this book? Have you heard that? And then you look at it and it's the shack or it's... Joel Osteen, or it's whatever. You don't want somebody who just latches on to whatever is new, whatever fad is out there. However, you also don't want somebody who never, you know, who feels like that they've arrived. And when proven wrong by Scripture, they're unwilling to admit it. 
That's an unteachable person. And the Bible says a factious man is an unteachable person. They're self-absorbed. They're proud. Are you a teachable person? How hard is it for you to admit that, that you're wrong? Now, I'll date myself and everybody who is probably 30 and up knows who the Fonzie is, right, on happy days? And the one word that Fonzie couldn't say was rrr. He couldn't say it was wrong. Is it easy for you to say that you're wrong? Well, if you're confronted with Scripture, I hope it is. If it's hard for you to say that you're wrong, then you're probably not a very good friend. Because someone like that is more interested in themselves and their own opinion than other people are God's truth. A person who is only interested in being right instead of finding the truth is not someone you want as a friend. But this man found the truth, and once he found the truth, he made a strong commitment to it, no matter whatever the cost was, even if it was just him and two other guys from the circumcision going with him. I'm going with the Apostle Paul. And you need to be a friend like that, and you need friends like that. Look at how Paul, what Paul says about these individuals at the very end of verse 11. And they, plural, have proved to be an encouragement to me. The word for encouragement comes from the word... Uh, uh, Paragoria. When I was give, oh, growing up, my father he used to give me some medicine. I, for whatever reason, I, I've never forgotten the name. Even as a boy, it was called paragoric. And it's from this Greek word, which means comfort. And you only took it whenever you had a bad, bad stomach problem. And it was to comfort you. And in medicine, it means something that lessens the pain. And Paul is here in pain. He's, he's serving Christ. He's, he's under imprisonment. He's, he's facing a difficult time. And these individuals were like medicine to him. They were soothing. They were a comfort. Paul says, these are the friends who have soothed me. Do you have friends that soothe you? I hope so. Are you the kind of friend that soothes others? You're like spiritual medicine to them. Or are you, God forbid, the kind of one that's like spiritual poison? Are you the kind that when somebody gets around you, they're up and you bring them down? Are you the kind of one where your speech is not seasoned with salt, it's not grace, but, but there's gossip, you're, you're, a, you're a bitter person? Are you the kind of person that, that, that whenever someone comes around, you have, you have more negative to say than positive to say? Well, then you probably don't fit this word. And Paul says that's the kind of friends he had in the faith and the kind that you want to be. One like a loyal soldier. One who can get up after he's fallen or she can get up after she's fallen and be useful again. And one who is willing to leave all that they know when they know it's the right thing. So what kind of friend are you? Are you the Lord's friend? It's probably the best question to ask. Do you remember why Jesus calls people friends? He calls people friends because they keep His commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. 
You'll find it a joyful. It doesn't mean that, that Christianity is all about commandments in the sense of, of just the, the rigid do's and don'ts. It means that when you come to Christ, when you love Christ, there is a desire in your heart that you freely want to please the Lord. And so whatever He tells you to do, whatever He commands you to do, you delight to do His will. And Jesus says, those are my friends. Are you a friend to Jesus? Did you know the Bible says if you're not His friend, if you don't keep His commandments, if you don't love Him, there's only one other category? You're His enemy because your heart's at enmity with God. And the only one that can change that is Christ. And the only way that can happen is by work of His Spirit where you repent and you believe. But that can change today if you'll do those things. Won't you bow your heads?